Welcome to the Hidden Healing Podcast. Thank you for stopping by to take a listen. I have a few questions for you. Did you grow up with a lot of adverse childhood experiences? Do you live in the toxic stress of fight or flight, feeling constantly triggered by things that make you feel unsafe? Well, you're in the right place. Listen in as I share stories and lessons from my journey in healing from complex PTSD. Listening to this podcast will help you learn to retrain your nervous system so that you feel safe and experience fewer triggers and learn how overfunctioning no longer serves you and how the key to healing lies in your identity and your somatic recovery. I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, so today's topic falls under the pillar of the work. This is the real life healing and where the rubber meets the road. I know most of us here are not day oneers, but if you're here and you're listening, then you may have many adaptive behaviors that you and your nervous system have used um, to keep you safe. And that's why you'll hear me repeat and re-explain terms that I use and that you may have heard a hundred times before, but because you're here doing the work, your nervous system kind of sees that as dangerous and it may not give you quick access to all the terms and their meanings. You know what I mean? Like, okay, think about when your nervous system does this to you, when you're driving and you have your friend with you and they say, turn right at the next light. And all of a sudden you can't remember your right from your left. You're five years old again and you have that panic feeling like, oh my God, I don't know my left and my right. Okay, so another one is when you're planning something with a friend, maybe like a party and you're doing numbers on how much food you need or how much seating and they throw some math at you and you're like, oh my God, I can't do my math. And all of a sudden you're panicked, you know, and, and, uh, the truth is that, you know, if they said to you, what's two plus two plus two? Your nervous system would probably panic and then you would be like, I, I don't know my math. I need a calculator. So happens, happens to people who have complex trauma. It is something that is common. And so, you know, we're, we uh, have to adapt, I guess. And this is a positive adaptation because I've learned to really say things over and over again, not even to you guys, but to myself so that I remember, I learned to write things down so that I can say it and so that I remember. So the truth is that you could do all those things, but your nervous system feels safer if you don't. So, um, that way there's not a chance that you'll be rejected or, uh, have public failure. <laughs> that way you don't cause the people around you to find a reason to withdraw their love or acceptance. Um, and that way you don't put yourself in the position of being criticized or publicly criticized. So a part of our mind decides not to give us access to that stuff. And then on top of that, if you think about it, if you remember from last season, we talked about it. If your mind or your nervous system goes into fight or flight, you lose access to up to 30% of your thinking ability. So all of that to mean that I'm going to keep repeating myself a lot because it's not just for you, but it's for me too. And when our nervous system feels a little bit in danger, it will do all kinds of little tricky things, right? But this is a perfect segue today to today's topic. Today we're talking about when we use overwhelm and confusion as an adaptive behavior so that we remain safe from all possible all possible negative scenarios that I mentioned before, like um, public embarrassment or a chance of rejection or 
<laughs> withdrawal of someone's love or acceptance or belonging, fitting in, um, or being criticized. All of that, it's protecting us from that. But do you see the pattern? Because we just discussed two things. We discussed, um, like, the mind not giving you access to easy information, like difference between left and right. And also, we're discussing using confusion and overwhelm to keep you safe. So, yeah, they're both adaptive behaviors, examples of adaptive behaviors. So, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about adaptive behaviors. And I think that there's kind of two, two types of families. There might be more, but just in my mind, there's like two types. And I think um, the result is pretty much the same. It's trauma. When we get trauma to our nervous system, the result is the same. But I think the families have like different ACEs and... Um, they show or cover it in different ways. And so in order to gain comfort, um, some families try to be more organized and more on top of things. And so if you, like an example in my mind is like an alcoholic father who is able to show up every day to work and has a good job, but when he comes home, he drinks too much and is unavailable emotionally. But then there's the mom who is able to pay all the bills, keep the house clean. She keeps the kids at school um, on schedule like they're supposed to and so all the things seem like your family is fine and it kind of reminds me of the families of the 50s where the mothers drank all day um, because you know there was not a lot for them they had to take care of the families but they didn't have they had a lot uh, more emptiness inside um, because of the way that everything was now conveniences of going to grocery stores and having cars and um, all of the availability of food without having to work for it, you know, as in like grow it and et cetera. And so um, they were un emotionally unavailable to kids, but they were to keep, they were able to keep all the balls up in the air, so to speak. And I, I think of that person that is also very good at their job as a grown up. It's like they run the company and they are literally everyone's boss. And um, they are just like really on fire at work, but home life is quite the opposite. So I am talking about that to draw <laughs> a comparison to the oppositeness of my family. Cause that's not how my life looked. Um, I was the other family. I was the one who never knew what day of the week it was. If I didn't go to school that week or if it was summer, never knew what day of the week it was. Um, we were the kids who missed so much school that I guess they would have probably failed us if it wasn't for the whole no kids left behind type of thinking and they just kept passing me. The kids who didn't have clean clothes or appropriate clothes often, um, because, you know, the laundry, the clothes, everything was in piles everywhere and who knew where it was, you couldn't really find it and we didn't have a washer in our in our apartment we literally had to go down to the laundromat somewhere and wash laundry which cost money which was something that sometimes we didn't have so um we were the kids whose family just could not be consistent at anything including school we missed a lot of imp important dates um and appointments and you know it's just my working theory i haven't really read or analyzed this in any kind of clinical way or you know you guys know I'm just a lay person who's sharing my experiences in life and this is something I was thinking about and just came up with but it, it does beg the question since <laughs> we weren't doing much we weren't at school or like living a good life out there 
what were we doing? Well, we were underfunctioning. We were so focused on just like daily living and getting our needs met that we weren't really busy doing much. We had a lot of work to do on a day-to-day -day basis because just to get dressed meant that we had to find a clean towel or clean clothes. Um, or if we wanted to go out, we had to find, and it was wintertime, find a jacket and a pile full of clothes. Um, or if we wanted to eat, we had to wash something to cook in. And then we'd have to wash dishes to eat out of. And so it was a very, you know, the life of just trying to get your daily needs met for quite a while. And then watching um, your parents cope with it all by watching too much TV or sleeping or um, just checking out. That's kind of something I think that both families have in common, though. Parents with coping tools that look like checking out of life, watching TV for hours or eating comfort food all the time, drinking too much, things like that. I know this all sounds grim, but it wasn't always like that. In fact, there was a lot of good times, especially as we got later in our teen years. We really did become active and contributing members of society. I even remember my sister and I, uh, my brother had already moved out and everything, and my sister and I came to a point in life when we were just like, we don't want to live in chaos and clutter anymore. All this like dirtiness that comes with it, it's just not for us. So we were able to clean up our home and to take care of our clothes and all of that stuff, including, you know, everything that comes with it. And of course, my mom had a lot less stress since we were all of, at an age of accountability for ourselves, pretty much. Um, and actually, in that time period, it was one of the healthiest times of my life, right around like 17 to 19. And um, it's one of the better like periods of time with good memories. But what I'm really getting at is that all along, I had modeled for me these adaptive strategies. And then... Um, really I had a lot of time to see that and to get those behaviors like deep down inside and plus I had my own trauma um, that really short-circuited all my nervous system and my brain um, and so I found those behaviors useful so that's why I use confusion and overwhelm and as a grown-up I began to see that and it is not a useful skill <laughs> to have to be able to live like that so what is overwhelm and confusion or what are overwhelm and confusion? Overwhelm is the state of being when someone feels completely inundated emotionally or mentally by excessive amounts of demands or um, stimuli. It can manifest as feelings of being unable to cope or manage a situation that you have at hand and it, re it results in loss of control and a sense of drowning in your own chaos. And confusion is very similar and they kind of go hand in hand. It refers to uh, a mental state of being disoriented where you struggle to understand or make sense of anything, a situation, information, your own thoughts. Like think about like trying to balance a checkbook, which I don't even do. Um, <laughs> but back in the 90s and the 80s, it was, you know, 70s, it was things that people did and you couldn't see the numbers or you couldn't add up your bills because it was just so confusing. Um kind of like mind fog, kind of confusion, disorienting thoughts and feelings. And it really creates a sense of being lost, not being um, smart enough or good enough. And just like you just shut yourself down, really. I spent a lot of my life in overwhelm and confusion, starting from a really young age. And I think about it now. Why, why did I do that? Well, how about 
when you feel that overwhelm, when you feel that confusion, our thoughts just become so clouded and whatever that we really just feel stuck. So I would end up spending many days not getting anything done or just a lot of fear because I was so confused and things felt really hard. And when you feel that way, when you feel like I'm just can't do this, I just can't balance my money or I can't make sense of, of this thing that I want to do. So I'm just not going to do it and I'm going to stay stuck. People with complex trauma sometimes unconsciously use that overwhelm and confusion as a way to escape from life's challenges and triggers. And really what we're trying to do is avoid feeling emotions or memories that may come up for us, right? Um, if you've had trauma, other, I mean, aside from ACEs, if you've had really big traumas in your life, then those, if you haven't dealt with them all, those are things that we're trying to push down and not feel. And then when we're facing things that challenge us and trigger us, those things can come up. So we're just, our nervous system is really trying to keep us safe. So using these mechanisms to detach ourselves from things in our life, the realities of our life, it kind of makes a buffer between us and whatever the thing that we think is scary or maybe things that will remind us of trauma or that will make us feel like we're going to be back in that danger again. And it was useful for us back then because it kept us small. If we didn't get up and go places, and that's why I talked about getting back to how I lived in that small life where I was trying to get my daily needs met and just like living. It kept it small so that I always felt safe because there was not scary people around me who would hurt me. There was not situations where people would see how stupid I was because I thought I was really that stupid. And so when we have that overwhelming confusion and we stop in our tracks and we lay down or we sit down and watch television or we disconnect in whatever way that we choose to disconnect, whether, I mean, there's so many ways to disconnect and we're just doing the bare necessities to get by. That's our nervous system trying to use confusion and overwhelm to keep us safe but it's not serving us anymore is it I think about times when my life was like that when it was that small and when I was just you know basically not moving a lot and just being in the house and I don't want to live that way ever again I would not want to go back to that but now I see myself using confusion and overwhelm in a different way and so like today I felt confused and overwhelmed because I was going to record the podcast episode and I felt unsafe because I know that all of you and a lot of you are real people in my life that I know because you've told me that you listen to the episodes and stuff and I know that you guys are going to hear this and so for the last two weeks I've been trying to do this and I would have times when I could sit down and write and it would feel so good and then every time I tried to record, I would get overwhelmed and confused and the technology and getting a new computer, which I did. And because my other computer died and having to learn how to use this because it's a Mac and not a PC and the mic not working with it and all of these things. Do you see what I'm saying? And so it's taking me a while just to get this back so that I could sit here and record with you. And so that's how I use it now. A while ago, before... I was able to work through a lot of this. 
my nose would start running and I would start sneezing for, could you imagine your nose just dripping like a water faucet for 24 to 48 hours? That would cause me just to lay down in my bed and hold a tissue on my face and I would just lay there and every now and then I'd get up and blow my nose and by the end of it all, it would be so sore because I was so stressed about something that my body was just like, nope, we're, we're calling it. You're confused and overwhelmed and you need to lay down. You cannot handle this. Those are examples in my life. What are some examples in your life? What are some patterns that you do when you use overwhelm and confusion to help you remain safe? Take on too much responsibility and then all of a sudden it becomes confusing. Appointments back to back or um, things like that. And then you get overwhelmed and you have to lay down or you have to take a rest or you have to cancel everything and take a day, an emotional day, right? So here's, here's the good part. Here's, I know that possibly felt very, um, negative and I'm sorry about that. I wasn't trying to be negative, but if we can relate and see these behaviors, if, if I can say things in my life that cause you to relate, then you'll know and you'll, you'll see those things that need to change. And so that's what, that's why I was trying to express it in a way that would make us connect and see how we're the same. So here's some advice though. If you want to go all in with your complex trauma recovery, but you're using overwhelm and confusion as a protection, first of all, don't feel alone. Always give yourself grace. Don't feel like the freak who just can't get your life together and you're the only one who's like this. Not That's not true. We, all of us with complex trauma, have these adaptive behaviors that are no longer serving us. And if we want to get healthy, we, we are going to look at them. But don't cause yourself to feel negative or bad about yourself. This is something that you did to keep yourself safe and now you're realizing it's no longer serving me. And so it's common. So if you have complex trauma, if you know someone who does, there's a chance that they're doing this too. So when you feel overwhelmed or when you feel confused about how to take action in your life or your day or you have a free hour and you have a lot of stuff and you feel really overwhelmed and it's the only free hour you have in the day to do these things and you can't or you don't know how to show up in your day because, you know, there's so much going on. You don't know where to use your energy and resources. Just stop. Just stop. Go to your safe place, your comfortable place. For me, it's on my bed or outside on the couch if it's warm and sunny. And then you sit down and close your eyes and go inward. And just take a minute to acknowledge that overwhelm. And acknowledge the confusion you feel. And just allow it to be. You're not trying to change it. This is where you get to be the neutral observer in your own life, in your own mind. That means... Don't make those feelings good or bad. Just allow them to exist and see them. I think of it like picking up a rock at the beach. It's interesting. And you see it. You see this pebble and you turn it this way and you turn it that way. And you observe it on all the sides and you feel it in your hand. And it's interesting, right? That's kind of how it is when we get that overwhelm and we get that confusion. Sometimes when we feel that overwhelm and confusion, we immediately stop and we think that the thoughts that we're having and those feelings are facts or that there's just wisdom in submitting because you need to slow down anyways. You need to take a step back and be sure you're doing the right thing. And that sometimes may cause you to just stop in your tracks 
when what you really need is just a minute to be alone with those feelings and to give them the respect that they need and deserve. And poof, it's like that. You sat down for 90 seconds or sometimes five minutes and the thoughts and the feelings, they lose the power, they lose the energy. And you remember them, but you're just not feeling them in your body. And you can take a baby step forward now and you can go, oh, that's right. I wanted to clean off my desk. Let me just clean off my desk right now. And then you kind of get in a cadence and you keep going. Your nervous system can become destabilized very quickly. And when it does, stop. Go inward and see the thoughts and the feelings. Another example that um, I heard that I really loved is like a waterfall. It's like um, when you're stopping to, to um, acknowledge the overwhelm and the confusion to allow it its, its place. It's like when you go behind a waterfall versus standing in the waterfall. So recently, this early spring, I went on a hike and one of the places we go to has this lovely waterfall. And when it rains really hard, which it does a lot, um, it actually is so powerful. And so um, I hiked up behind it and that was the first time. And it was interesting because that was on my bucket list is going behind the waterfall. And um, I got to go behind the waterfall and stand there. And the water was rushing so fast. It's like those emotions and you just feel overwhelmed and your heart is pumping and you just can't handle that, right? And I could feel that water, even just in the splashes that was that were getting me. And I could feel the power of it. But it's like you step back against the wall and you just look at the water falling. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. And so it's that same thing. It's like a waterfall. You're not standing in the water pelting you and you know pushing you out of control but you're standing back and just looking at it so that's kind of like uh, looking at the the pebble that you pick up on the beat you're just looking and observing and being that neutral observer so little by little slow and steady you learn to trust yourself you learn um, when you really do need a rest and then when you do need a rest it's okay to stop but when what you really need is just to acknowledge those feelings, to be that neutral observer, and to give those those um, feelings which stem from the past, give them their respect and acknowledge that they're trying to just protect you, then you can sometimes step forward and keep going. And I think that's the key here, is that we want to just do that, because sometimes we're going to find out we need to stop, but other times we're going to find out that we could keep going, moving towards the things in coherent and consistent ways. And it is just going to feel really good when that happens. And you're going to really just build trust and healing and self-support. And so, of course, as we do this, guess what? It's also letting us get to know ourselves and letting us know how strong we are and how we can listen to our inner voice. And when we learn how to trust ourselves, it's part of that, part of, part of those pillars that are all building us up and it's all just connected. So hopefully you see how overwhelm and confusion are adaptive behaviors and that it's okay that, that we have those adaptive behaviors, but that we can also choose to sit with them and observe them and sometimes move forward. So. I'm so happy you joined me again this week and I look forward to again speaking with you next week.